Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate it. It's Monday, January 26, 2015. We say that at the beginning of all our broadcasts, because many of you listen to this broadcast on a downloaded basis. And we want you to be able to know which week or what, the, what, what program you're listening to. Anyway, so good to have you with us. Again, this is the broadcast created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. And we're the proud recipient of the progress in the Lending Award, the Innovation Award from Progress in Lending. So very exciting, and it's good to have you with us. I'm very excited about again today's topic. Uh, last week, it blew up the switchboard when we had Les Parker on, and we really just cracked the can on that. They just opened the lid, and we started getting into it. And I've never had so many, you know, it was almost demands. you got to have him back. He left us hanging. We can't be here. Stop that. Keep it going. Keep the broadcast going. And they go, well, then we really don't want it to go longer because everyone agrees an hour format's the best. But they say, can you have them back? So back by popular demand, and I mean very popular demand. We have Les Parker of Loan Logics back on with us talking about his 2015 forecast. Folks, you're going to want to pay attention. To it. Definitely go back and listen to the last week's broadcast. If you're listening to this on a downloaded basis, if you did not listen to last week's, go back and do so and then listen to this week's next because we're doing it in a sequential order. We're going to get into a lot more questions. A lot of you emailed questions in. We're going to get to some of those, uh, but it's it's really exciting. So we're um, going to get to forego some of the other order of the broadcast. We're going to get Joe on, and then we're going to get Les on because he's standing at an airport doing this. I think it's standing on one leg with his ear against the glass so he can get good cell reception and do the broadcast for us. But we're really excited to have him back and sharing with our listeners some of the talk topics. Hey, but special thank you goes out to our um, sponsors, United Guarantee. Uh, waiting for some new updates from United Guarantee on their uh, advertising. So I'm going to go this with them on their on their sponsorship ad. Uh, have you reached out and do you have a relationship with United Guarantee? If you don't, I am strongly encouraging you to set up a meeting. That's your homework from your host of this broadcast. Set up a meeting to meet with your United Guarantee representative. You can go to their website at UGCorp.com, and you will see there a list of all of their representatives that are representing your area. Folks, pay, take the time to invest and get to know these folks. They've got you know, so many services and some really innovative products, and we're so proud to have them as a sponsor, but not just because they help make this financially possible for us to do this broadcast, but more importantly, because of the partnership they can be for you, the partner they can be for you, to you, in the lending process. Very innovative, one of the top companies in the nation, one of the more secure and uh, I encourage you to reach out to them. So check their website out at UGCorp.com. Again, you will be glad you did when you learn about some of the programs. I recommended that to a client, and they go, Dave, we got all the MI relationships. And they called me and go, 
Lincoln, we are so glad you really pushed us to make set up a point with our UG rep because it made such a huge difference. So we're excited to um, have the partnership with them through the radio broadcast and them as a sponsor. Also, a special thank you goes out to Belma.com. The folks at Belma, which stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, they do an outstanding job of notifying you about the broadcast. And they, they there's different ways to use this. There's We have some clients that we have that use Belma. In fact, that's how we met some of them. And the the way they go about getting their information into the inbox is pretty interesting. We've had Brett Emler as a guest. I encourage you to go back and listen to that broadcast. I think it was from in the fall. If you look at the broadcast list, um, previous broadcasts, you'll see that in. But it's really important to check that out. They also have some new technology. They'll be uh, helping making sure that it gets through. Their, your message will get through the spam filters out there. Some very cool stuff that they're doing and pay attention to it. Also, I want to say a regular thank you to our regular contributors, Alice, Joe, and Andy, for the time. They put in a lot of time to be a part of this broadcast, and we need to give them a big round of applause. Every time I say that, I keep seeing Andy taking his hands, clapping in a circular motion. And always that's the visual I get on giving them a round of applause. But I really say thank you to them and their time to be a part of the broadcast and the content that's here is just over the top and i get comments every time i travel on all of them so anyway let's get into what's going on the conferences the misbo conference summit is um well that was last week actually this week uh we know it's later this month is the national mortgage servicing conference expo that is going on in uh dallas february 23rd to the 26th the mba national mortgage servicing Conference and Expo, the Midwinter Housing Conference, is uh, March 4th through the 7th. The Midwinter Conference is at, well, that's the same thing. Sorry, I did that last week. It's on two pages. It's pants over, so I just keep right on down my list of reading here. But anyway, it's a it's a great conference. I encourage you to check it out. In fact, many times you may, if you're not already registered for the Midwinter Conference, you may be out of luck. It sells out early, early, early. Also, we have next week the Secondary Marketing Conference here in uh, Texas, the Texas MBA, Mortgage Bankers Association of Texas, is putting on the conference. Check it out. A lot of people are flying in for that. Going to be well attended. Joe Farr, good to have you here as always. Let's get an update on what's Dave. going on in the market. Man, I'm looking at the, your screen right now, and, uh, boy, it's, it looks like high high tide, waves rolling in one after another, up and down, <laughs> over and around. What's going on? It's You know, there's no real driver today. Uh, MBS prices are down just a little bit. They're down 230 seconds. And, you will notice too that we uh, have switched to the three coupon from the three and a half, just as an indication of how low rates have gone. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, not a lot of news this morning. Now there was market making, potentially market making news over the weekend, but it has not had a big effect. Uh, the Greek elections that we uh, might have mentioned on the show last week, yeah. but Greece uh, elected a. a um, a new prime minister who leans very heavily to the left, and and the prime minister and that new ro- ruling party are expected to challenge the lenders on the bailout loans as to their requirements for austerity and other things that uh, go along with the the bailout loans, and and it could cause a little um, turmoil in the in the European Union. It's uh, something to keep your your uh, your your attention, but uh, at this point it's uh, it's just Greece, and uh, and it's yet to be seen what conditions uh, the lenders might accept or what conditions the lenders uh, might tell Greece that or uh, are, are justifying no longer issuing the the 
you know, the loan. So uh, hmm. we'll be paying attention to this. Yeah, no uh, kidding. Yeah, we're going to be paying attention uh, to a lot what's going on in Europe because that is a big driver, I think, in the new year of a lot of what's going to be going on in our markets from the ECB. Well, certainly, last uh, week. I know Les is going to refer to it a lot as well. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Also in Europe, the last week's uh, focus was on the European Central Bank's meeting, and they did in fact announce a uh, quantitative easing program. It was interesting last Wednesday. The uh, ECB, or somehow it was leaked that, as to what the ECB would do, and and then on Thursday they actually did what they the, what was leaked and a little bit. So uh, the market expected what uh, approximately what was announced, and as a result, uh, there wasn't a big movement in interest rates as a result. So uh, uh, last week actually had you know just a small improvement in. And MBS prices and mortgage rates, and and got through the ECB meeting, which was a big deal. Uh, last week, the uh, housing data, a lot of housing data came out, and all of it was pretty good, actually. The National Association of Home Builders Housing Index came out. That's a measure of builder expectations, and it showed showed a small drop in January from December, but uh, still at one of the highest levels in the last 12 months or so. Uh, December housing starts were a surprise to the upside. Single-family starts were better. Uh, in fact, they were the best they've been since March of 2008. Single-family yeah, building good. permits were good, too, So, uh, and existing home sales. They improved in December and uh, are at a uh, relatively, not the best levels of the year, but a pretty good level. And so we're heading into 2015 with uh, uh, some momentum in the housing market and certainly with Interest rates at the lowest level they've been, uh, actually, you know, uh, going back to May of 13, uh, yeah. these are the lowest wow. levels you're going to have. So it's a, certainly a supporter of the housing market. Uh, for the week ahead, Dave, I'll go through this quickly. Uh, uh, biggest events this week, there are a couple of big ones. Uh, Fed meeting uh, on Wednesday, we'll have a statement released at 2 Eastern time. Uh, people will continue to look for guidance on their uh, expectations for Fed funds policy. Uh, first look at GDP. Fourth quarter GDP comes out on Friday at 8.30. Uh, consensus calls for 2.3% annualized growth rate in the fourth quarter. More housing data next week with new home sales tomorrow and pending home sales on Thursday. And then uh, durable orders, consumer confidence and sentiment, and treasury auctions round out a pretty busy week. Busy week, yeah, no kidding. Lots of stuff going on. Um, Got to have a service like this. I'm looking at your screen, and I'm looking at how it all stacked up. And then what's so nice about your service, you're going like, well, what's durable goods again? What does that really mean? You click on it uh, on the home screen, and you click on what durable goods are, and you give a really good description of it. So that's, it's just one of those, another one of those really value-adds. That's in here. Uh, lots of great stuff. Again, a lot of people providing a lot of information out there, but there's just a lot of information. The reason I keep coming back and saying uh, what's so valuable to me is you get right to the, what is most important and what is going on now, and that's ultimately what I really want. So it's a great service. Appreciate you checking. Uh, appreciate you being a part of the broadcast. And then, folks, I want you to check it out. So stay tuned. We'll be right back back after this brief break. 
Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' Out Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. I'm uh, emailing Paul Mahler right now. He won't be on the broadcast. Uh, he has got some things that came up that he cannot join there. Not to mention the weather that's coming through there, <laughs> uh, the whole East Coast area. It's uh, You'll look at what's going to be hitting there. They're talking it could be one of those epic record-breaking storms. So all of you listeners out there on the East Coast, appreciate you uh, being there. In fact, we have to get Les Parker on here in just a minute. But before we do, I want to do a quick rundown of what's on the IMF News website. Uh, Aquin quietly shopping a $10 billion MSR is the first headline. Money could be used for settlements. There's a lot going on with Aquin. If you haven't been staying up on that story, it is just lots of information. And IMF News, www.imfnews, covers it well. Check it out. Then also, there's two articles right there, one by Paul and another one by Brandon. Ivy that is covering it, as well as uh, George Brooks has an article up about Jenny May ready to launch issuer scorecard. Now, that really has some interesting components about it. We're going to be talking a little bit about that with Les. And then Andy Shell's up on all of this stuff, of course. And so what is that scorecard? What could that look like? I'm not saying Andy's up on what he's about to ready to launch, he doesn't have, but he does have how to be working with uh, Jenny May in that very much in his sights. Also, Phoenix is selling 40, uh, Phoenix uh, Capital is selling 4.3 billion dollars of agency and Jenny May servicing rights. Um, there's lots of great information. The short takes is up there. Um, yeah, a lot more Aquan stories in there. Lots of great stuff all the way through. Be sure to. Um, I think it's really dominated by either AltaSource or Aquan right now. Some of the stories that dominate what's going on there. But check it out at www.insider. It's actually imfnews.com. So imfnews.com. Paul would be grateful for you. If you'd sign up for it, you'll be grateful because you're staying up on what's going on. Let's get over to our special guest. Now, again, we have Les Parker who has agreed to come back on. He says, Dave, I'm happy to come on, but i got to come on early in the broadcast because I was supposed to be boarding a flight to the East Coast. And so he is standing in a quiet place uh, as he can in the airport. But if we hear announcements overhead, it's because Les has agreed to come on over his cell phone and come on in a, uh, you know, while, while there with uh, all the things going on in the airport. So Les Parker, good to have you with us. Appreciate you so much for coming back in and dialing in. We, Les, you blew up the phones. Are you there? First of all, we'll make sure we didn't lose you. You're alive. I think I'm alive. Let me check. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, if right. you're Mike. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay, yeah. I uh, don't want your viewers either. to get the wrong idea, but uh, I'm still you are, breathing. You are very, you're still breathing. You have a live line, and you actually sound pretty good, so I appreciate you, Thank you. Uh, coming back on. Uh, we've got, 
you know, got some time in here that we really want to get in. And Les, I got to tell you, the switchboard blew up last week. Uh, we had, I think, every line dialing in that available that was there. And um, a lot of people are dialing in again this week. What I'm really interested in is for us to go through that. But I want to establish some credibility. There's, first of all, I think when – and by the way, folks, the link to Les's uh, forecast is in the – Licking on Lending website and description on this. So I've loaded it for this week. I'm going to go back and load it for last week's as well. So you'll see some updates to last week's broadcast, not the title, but the um, to the uh, uh, subject matter. So you're going to be able to find it in both locations. And again, I say at the top of the broadcast, as I said at the top of the broadcast, be sure to go back and listen to last week's before you listen to this week if you're listening on a downloaded basis. Okay, Les, one of the things that I was impressed as I was going through your um, forecast is just how accurate you are. I'm looking at the what you ex- what was expected, uh, or what you projected, and what actually happened. If going back to 2011, and I forward this on to Joe and Alice and Andy, um, it's just it's really quite astounding when you look at what you projected and where it came in. So, if history gives us credibility, and especially if we're doing projections. You've got a whole lot of credibility based on this. Let's talk about that. The uh, the the and what I'm talking about is versus actual and the 10-year Treasury note yield. So let's talk a little bit about that range again. You touched on this, and then some of the drivers going into that. If you could go through that real briefly to bring our listeners up to date. Sure, you're talking about historically what we've been looking at and how we kind of okay. Um, well, it is and, and then I want to and then lead that into the, to, to what you forecasted, if we could. Just take a few sure. moments to do uh, that. Sure, absolutely. Well, historically, what I've tried to do, my emphasis over the years, for 20 years of doing, actually it's 20, almost 25 years doing news, newsletters. Um, for the first five years of that, it was with uh, Greg Crosby, who's the president of PowerSeller, and Ted Thomas and I worked together. And we were at first financial government securities and first financial uh, futures. And when we were doing that together, we would put out um, our daily, where we think the markets go, what what happened, where we think it's going to go. Well, when I went off on my own um, 20 years ago as Parker & Company, I published a newsletter because we did have people that we were managing their interest rate risk. Um, modeling, uh, modeling their pipelines and how it's going to change. Um, we did. We were the first with at First Financial Futures and Government Securities. Uh, we were the first to have proactive risk management. So we were doing uh, simulations of the pipeline as interest rates go up and down. And so, in that same spirit, when starting Parker and Company, we had dynamic risk management. We had reactive risk management. We provide both answers to uh, rate interest rate risk managers on how they can lay off their risk. One, in in doing that, in my newsletter, I've wanted to provide them a context for three items, and that is, or really a four four items. One is what just happened. So you give some sense of what just happened. And that's usually about a paragraph or two. And then there's, uh, and it may even be some broader things of where we think what's been happening in the market, maybe some commentary on that. But then I may help them form three bias, three biases. Um, 
a bias on the direction of interest rates, a bias on volatility, and a bias on yield uh, spreads. Those are the three decisions that every risk manager, anyone doing secondary marketing, is making every day. Some do not make it consciously, but they are making that decision based on the way they structure their pipeline. So it's in that context and what I'm trying to provide for interest rate managers to make decisions that I came up with for now it's been almost 23 years, an annual forecast, I wanted to give them the range, the expected range that rates should be and what that direction should be during the year. Now, obviously, it can change as you go day to day and week to week and month to month, but that's what we did. So for the last four years, uh, we gave our expected ranges, and then the actual ranges were uh, very similar for the last four years. And actually, for the last 20 years, there was only a couple years where we were off pretty significantly. Uh, one particular one was 1994, when the direction, I thought we would have a continuation of the bull market. It turned out to be a major bear market that year. Um, but we did change. As the market changed, we changed our, and then we gave them different objectives. Um so last year, let's just talk about 2014. Yeah, 2014, let's just talk about last year and then go into that. Yeah. Um, we, I did not expect us to go above 3.2 at the beginning of the year. It was 3.04 on the 10-year. Um, mm-hmm. I gave it a little bit of wiggle room that because uh, early in the year it looked like it might go a little higher. And then um, if it would meet a couple conditions – um, we would be able to go as low as 1.9, and we ended up reaching 1.87, and that Seven, was yep. when we had the uh, flash liquidity crisis in the United States in the middle of October. Which, by the way, at uh, Davos, they just uh, Mark yes. Carney, who is the uh, yes. governor of the Bank of England, just commented on that uh, flash. Um, liquidity problem in the United States. So we'll address that a little later in the broadcast. Yeah, I saw a tweet on that. That was very interesting. So then let's talk about 2015 as it relates to the spread and then some of the drivers to that. I think that's fascinating. And then I really really want to get into the interest rate outlook because that was, for me, a big wow. Okay. Sure. And for a lot of our listeners. Okay. Yeah. You know, what's interesting um, we all kind of like to know, well, where do we think rates are going or and, and when will we get to mm-hmm. But actually, in a, in a certain sense, what really could be a major moment this year, I think we have a good chance for significant wider range. Some would think a wider range doesn't mean anything. Actually, a wider range can be the difference whether your company stays in business or not. Yeah, because yeah. if these if it's, these changes happen quickly, then it could be that companies cannot react appropriately, don't have the adequate capital to finance any uh, margins they may have on their MBS trades. They may have a whole. If you're a broker, you may be selling loans to a wholesaler that ends up they didn't handle handle that market and they're out of business and now you're hanging with locks. So the range of rates is actually a bigger issue than even the single direction of rates. Can I put a bookmark in there? Andy Shell, you're listening to this. One of our listeners just texted me, says, could someone 
Maybe Prophet Doctor explain what the heck he just said. So after he's gone, we'll leave it sit there for right now. But I understand what you're saying. But some people are going to want some interpretations. So Prophet Doctor, make a note. We can. I know what you're. I know you know what he's talking about there. So let's keep on going. Just want to make a book note of that. The volatility. Sure. The wider the range, the greater the volatility, and you can get whipsawed in that thing. And it's that kind of volatility to range has huge dollar consequences to a balance sheet. And that's what you're talking about, putting companies out of business. And it's so important that, yes. money, that those that are managing the interest rate risk are cognizant of it, and those that are managing the financial aspects of a business maintain liquidity to be able to meet those events, or otherwise it's uh, you get a margin call and you're out, over and out. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. You so Andy that up can well. go into that later. Yeah, so that's, that's, for that's the, the 2000 – I'm sorry, for the 2015 yeah. forecast, I'm looking at 2.9 for the high rate and 1.35 for the low rate. That's actually a very calm, expected, normal volatility that we've been seeing now for years. Um, don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to hit the outside edges this year. And the outside expectation is a low rate of 1.15, which I do think we will hit this year, and a high rate that could be very close to 4% on the 10-year. Wow. Now, last year, that's what people were looking for, was 4%. So it's not like it's an absurd type of thing to be looking at. It's just that the dynamics have changed in a year. Yes. Last year, everybody thought rates were going to go higher. The U.S. is growing. There's rapid... uh, we're, we're seeing the job market uh, putting on more jobs. We're starting to see some movement in income. So people were very positive. Goldman Sachs was saying around the 4% level. number of people, uh, almost everyone was looking at going higher to 4%. Few were looking for it going lower. And if they were, they certainly weren't looking at, to go below 2%. Well, here right. we are below 2%. And now, as typical with herd mentality, a lot of people think we're going to be going a lot lower. Guess what? I do think I'm with the crowd right now. I think we're You're going with the lower. crowd going lower. Um, I'm okay. with the crowd right now. However, but most what of the crowd time frame? Yeah. Is, <laughs> the issue is I think it's going to happen this first quarter, maybe the second quarter that we'll reach this 1.15. Um, certainly we'll reach 1.35. It's because of all of this deflation news and just just a lot of things going on. So maybe, Dave, I should talk to why I think we could have it go down so far and then why it will go up so quickly. Should we spend a little time on that? Yeah, that would be good. And then we're we're we're, we're into this a little bit. I want to make sure we have lots of time for questions. So let's cover this, and then I'm going to open up the mic to Andy, uh, Joe, and Alice a little bit on this. And then I'll do a quick answer. Yeah, I'm really interested in your flash deflation. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. Oh, perfect. So let's first do this in a historical context. Um, you probably have some photographers out there and that they understand complementary colors. They understand why it is that film is negative. We have negatives and then we have to create a positive image. And what it is, it's colors are really, rather than saying complementary colors, what better describes it is opposite colors. So when you see this total inversion you get the complete flip. We are going into the transition from going from a negative 
to a positive, making that happen. When we last did it was back in the early 80s when Paul Volcker was appointed to the Federal Reserve and changed Federal Reserve policy to get inflation under control by dramatically increasing interest rates on short-term uh, on, right. on overnight funds. And it was very effective, but it was very painful. If you look at the 10 years before that, the range, the volatility was very low. It never exceeded 2% range in the 10-year, from 1970 to 1979. Then in the next eight years, during this transition with Volcker and attacking these issues, then we only one time were we over, excuse me, one time were we under 2%. So it was very volatile times. In fact, that one time it was under 2, it was under 2.5. Everything else, the other seven years, was over 2.5%. Then the last hmm. 27 years, 1988 to uh, 2014, the range has never exceeded 2.5, and only four times did it exceed 4%. Think about it, radio audience, of that range, that 27 years of calmness, eight years of transition that were very violent, always above the calm years, and then 10 years before that, calm years. That's the, what we're getting ready to enter into right now, that eight-year period again. And that eight-year period, I, do be, I believe, will not be eight years because the world is not the same as the 80s. Yeah. We have Internet. We have information that gets digested very rapidly. We have tremendous growth in explosion in data and the way to analyze that data. We a lot of people hear about big data analyst, uh, analysis. Right. That's the time period where we're So it is now the opposite. It is opposite colors. It is the negatives of that time period. That's what we're getting ready to go into. We need to be thinking about it that way. I don't know that it's, I don't believe it's all going to be fulfilled in 2015. It's probably going to be part of 2016. And the total yeah. period will probably be about a three-year period. I don't think it will wow. be four. But it's, and that means it's going to be violent times. So we're going to see ranges yeah. over 2% and probably over 2.5% in the 10-year for uh, these next uh, few years. That's that's troublesome. That's that's a more difficult market to manage. Um, so that that's the context. Yep. That's the context. So the the and in Europe, one last question in color. Joe said you're going to give us some insights as you had last week. I want to go into it. Europe's going to be a huge driver of all this. And then after we're done with this comment to that, then I'm going to go to Joe, then to Andy, and then to Alice. So if okay. you could, uh, the, yeah, sure. The reason it's going to be a driver is because of deflation. Um, people yeah. have felt that was a dirty word, that if you used it the early part of last year, people thought you were crazy about talking about yeah. inflation. You're only supposed to use the word disinflation. Well, we're now <laughs> getting deflationary numbers, in certainly in Japan and in Europe. Um, I believe we're going to see uh, – we're certainly seeing declining prices in certain elements and areas in China. There's going to be uh, – uh, England now is saying that their inflation is going to be much lower than what they were originally talking about. In the United States, we're looking at slower deflation. We actually had one print of negative numbers, but that's a single print, and we don't really count it in our CPI at, 
until we see a couple numbers. So deflation is the issue. Um, declining prices, uh, pricing power is the big issue, and it's not just in Europe. It is a global event. So it is global. It's not one of those things that's just no. going to happen there and then spill over here. Much, much worries about deflation here in the U.S. and then going to Joe. Yes or no? Much worry? Yes or no? Me or Somewhere. Joe? You, you. No, I'm not asking you. Yeah. Asking you. No, then I I'm, don't, going to I'm not really looking for – I think there's going to be elements. I think we're going to see softness in U.S. real estate, primarily because of the weakness of income. It all is Doug Duncan, one of my favorite economists here in the United States, uh, uh, that heads it up for Fannie Mae. Um, yeah. He says it's all about income. I believe it's all about income on real estate. Um, and that we'll get some softness there because you can't uh, – well, we're going to get some softness in prices. So there's going to be spillover. Yeah, it's interesting. But there it's was not going to see deflation. The... I don't see we're going to see deflation here, and that's because we're the reserve that's, currency. That's exactly – that's because we're the reserve currency. Okay. Lots to talk about there. It could go on and on and on. I love these conversations. But, Joe, a lot of our listeners, as I told you, said, what does Joe think about this? You've got a lot of people that trust you, Joe, because of your calm nature and the way you deliver the report each week. So let's dive into some of your thoughts on this and then questions that you have for Les. Uh, a lot of people are hanging on every word here, Joe, so it's all you. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I, I'll be the first to say my, my predictions don't come out to the basis point with inaccuracy. So uh, I'm I'm just going to ask questions here right now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so Les, I, I was very interested in, in something you wrote about regarding uh, jobs here in the U.S. And, um, you know, a lot of what you talk about as far as deflation goes is associated with oil and the price of, uh, of oil, and, and that's having an effect on U.S. jobs. Uh, discuss, if you would, the importance of oil and the buildup in in the oil production industry here in the U.S. on jobs and what risk the current price of oil has on those jobs. Uh, that is the that is really the heart of what is hurting the U.S. economy right now, and it's hurting the income uh, area. The new jobs that have been added over uh, since the recession was ended has been from the oil sector in the United States. We've seen tremendous. Um, growth in private on private lands uh, for oil uh, with shale, and that area has seen rapid growth by different uh, Federal Reserve districts. That's what the chart uh, that I enclosed in my uh, newsletter is trying to show you. You see the Dallas district and the um, Minnesota districts seeing pretty good job growth and pretty high level of job growth. And it was mm -hmm. primarily from the oil sector. We are still a net importer of oil, but our job growth has been from the exporting of oil and extracting of oil here. That job growth has also been in well-paying jobs. So the modest increases that we've seen in income have really been coming from the oil sector. The oil sector is already laying off thousands of jobs. It is a small business area, so there's lots of small businesses being impacted. And that is what's going to that is what we're currently seeing in the weakness in the jobs number is coming through there first and also weakness in income numbers. In 
I do believe that we're going to have a pickup in the United States on GDP because of the low oil prices, but probably not until Q2 with the service and probably Q3. It is interesting, Joe, one little note, is that at Davos, uh, Mark Carney, again, uh, Bank of England, what he commented on is low oil is going to be lower longer than what's currently expected. By the way, he is also the chairman of the G20's Financial Stability Board. A little credibility there. And, and it's yeah. it's important to know that uh, you know oil can be uh, so volatile – and and at somebody's whim, almost it could be, price of oil could go up substantially. So to believe that it's going to be low a long time weighs heavily on on your forecast. I assume it does somewhat. Uh, and you are Joe. You, you and I have been around this uh, game a little while, and uh, it is absolutely true that oil is volatile. And right now, if you would see oil spike up to seventy dollars, which would be a huge move. That still, in the, the grand scheme of things, of what has happened, would not be as until we close. I think it's about seventy-two dollars. You don't change the the secular bullish as or bearish aspect of this market. Um, if you close, I, I I think it was fifty-eight dollars. I can't remember now. I I have to go back and check. But there's we if you close above a certain level. Uh, in the 50s, then we're going to get into a bull market in oil, but not changing this fundamental uh, bull uh, bear market that oil's in. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it weighs heavily. It also weighs on, you know, Joe, let me add this. Oil and copper are what everyone in this audience should be watching. When oil starts to move, see if it's confirmed with movement in copper. If copper prices start going up, that along with oil, and it's they're both trending hard, then you are going to see U.S. interest rates increasing. Because that's going to wow. be showing us that there'll be there's going to be an increase in economic activity. That's why you see these most of these commodities, industrial commodities, are down, and they're down hard. And I don't see them coming up until we get some uh, uh, economic activity. China is slowing down. India is slowing down or it's relative to what their growth rates were. And so this oil is unlikely to have a huge demand in it. Uh, there could be other issues, or could be crisis in Saudi Arabia that goes beyond the current transition. Um, but that's those are externals. I'm kind of looking at it in the current state of affairs. Oil and copper, Joe. I would have never thought to be paying attention to those two as it relates to direction of interest rates. That's very interesting. Um, we're going to have Joe back on, our listeners, to talk about and give his thoughts on everything he's hearing here. I want to run over to the Profit Doctor real quickly, and then off to Alice before uh, we let Les run away here in a little bit. Um, want to hang him on to for as long as possible. So, Joe, excuse me, Profit Doctor, Andy Shell, good to have hey. you on this. What's your thoughts? Uh, what questions do you have? And then we'll get you an analysis after we have uh, let Joe go. Okay. Well, I mean, after we let for being, <laughs> Let's go. <clears throat> uh, thanks, Les, for being on the show. You and Joe were just talking about the oil. You, maybe we'll get the Keystone Pipeline approved, and that would help with oil jobs in the U.S. and bring some construction work to the Midwest. Um, As it relates to your forecast, um, I'm curious, you were talking about that 
most secondary marketing people, whether they know it or not, have a rate bias, and that affects the decisions they make during the day. What should a secondary marketing manager do differently based on the volatility mm. you're predicting? Great question. Well, the first, number one is most risk managers are reactive risk managers. That's the methodology they follow. Um, so I believe one element they should add in their risk is look at uh their pipeline from a proactive viewpoint. That is, look at scenario analysis, look at shocks, and then if you look at those shocks, see where the exposure would put strains on your company's uh, capital. Then try to lay off that in the capital markets. The only way you realistically can do that is with long options. Um, if they don't want to go down that path, then what they need to do uh, is make sure their lock policies are very tight. That is, they're probably not going to allow for locks over weekends. They're probably going to only want to allow locks during active markets. And then as they are getting their locks flowing in, they lay off that risk immediately um, and avoid some of the holding of locks for two or three or four hours. And sometimes it goes into two or three days that people will hold uh, parts of their flow. I think you're going to have to be more disciplined in how you – manage your lock flow. So you're going to have to tighten up your lock policies. That's that won't be great. too popular with some circles. Yeah, it's good. Go ahead. Well, because a lot of mortgage companies use hedge advisors and they send them hedge advisors data files in the evening. So what ends up happening is that their position only adjusts once a day after the close of business. And so what Les is suggesting is that you need to update your position more frequently than sending your hedge advisor an update once a day, you need to do it, in this case, hourly. And there are some systems that integrate that make it so that you get a, a live feed of what's happening in your pipeline relative to your position. But this is great insight, Les. Good job. Thank you. Well, one more one more quick question, and then I'll shoot it over to Alice. Um, we're talking a lot about economic uh, theory and, and forecasting and spreads and all this stuff. Um, how does this affect the originator? We've got a lot of loan originators mm. listening to the call. Why should they care? How does this affect them? How do they use this when they go talk to their realtor this afternoon? Well, that's a good question. Um, number one is um, I have the privilege to hear some of the chatter that goes on internally in certain um, large um, correspondent investors of how they talk to their loan officers and how they talk to their correspondent lenders. And what I am always – find uh, very encouraging is that the secondary marketing managers that are trying to give um, some color to the LOs, try to keep them focused on that these are essentially every day is a good day for locking in the loan to give the consumer a certain amount of certainty. Um, the consumer is not hiring the LO to be a market timer for them. Now, the LO may think that they're hired to be a market timer, but really they're hiring them to give them guidance to get through the process and get it to a closing so they can get the additional funds out of their home if it's for a cash refi or to get the lower payment if it's just a, a no-cash-out refi or shortening up the term if they're just doing a rate and term and maybe slightly increasing or decreasing the payment. 
Um, and in case of purchase money, in reality, is it the rate that they're worried about or is it to really start a new life at that new home? So LOs need to keep that perspective. Now, having that perspective, they need to understand the general direction of interest rates so that if the consumer is they might be able to help the consumer have a little more patience if they're anxious about few things or if they are on the fence and they what they're hearing is that oh rates could be going up so as you know you may want to, if this is really what you want way just couch it for the consumer do you really need to save another uh, five basis points, which is very small in your payment, which may translate to just a couple dollars, or is it this dream that you're trying to pursue? So I think LOs can be empowered by this information to help their consumer understand the context. That's really how they should use it. It should become part of their unique sales proposition. Good stuff, Les. Way to go. Nice job. Alan, or Andy, let me just add one quick thing on the first part. This management of flow, uh, the lock flow, has been a challenge for this industry uh, since we started having locks. So it's always been there. We have been very privileged to be working with a, a major entity out there to be able to make this be um, a smoother transition. So I think there are some things that are going to be coming down the pike, certain tools, and, and I think some of the hedge advisors, from what I kind of hear without disclosing anything, they're moving towards trying to help um, the lenders um, manage that flow in a more timely fashion. So I think you're going to see some things come out in the next quarter or uh, second quarter, sorry, second quarter or third quarter this year that will be pretty exciting for a lot of uh, interest rate risk managers. Exactly, exactly. And and the sponsor of the Profit Doctor is Optima Blue, who has a live update between the locks and the position report. There so you thanks, go. Les. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Alice, we got a few minutes here as we wrap up. Uh, Les is involvement. He's got a cut and run, but I want to get some questions in from you. I think he brings up some really interesting points that you and I were talking about previously. So, Alice? Alice, Alice. Sorry about that. So, yep, Les, I know you're in a time crunch, so I'm going to jump right in here with uh, two questions. One, uh, how, in terms of how to think long-term for the ALCO, you know, the asset liability committees, uh, I was just talking to one of our customers last week, you know, and they felt like they had everything considered that they needed to. And so they they now, with new information, how should they how should they take any of this into consideration? And then my next question is just, much longer term, do you see the election at all having an impact on any of this, right? We're in for a new election in a little over a year, so, you know. Okay, so I guess you're not not talking about the Greek election. You're talking about the most recent election in the new Congress. (laughs) Well, I'm talking about even just a new president next year, you know. that. So we're trying to predict way out, you know. uh, What what are your thoughts on that? yeah, sure. I well, number one is on the political realm. I find usually uh, there are long-term things that get affected, and I think uh, Charles Krauthammer has a book out, "Things That Matter," which seems to kind of hit to that object that political decisions do have impact on our lives, even though it doesn't feel like they do. Um, I'm not 
sure that it's going to have a significant effect on the macroeconomic uh, world right now. Um, even some of the issues surrounding uh, the conflict in the world, and some people looking at this as uh, we have not, um, we've had some issues dealing with some of the Arab countries over these last couple of years that is kind of rearing its head, is not really dramatically impacting um, the macroeconomics. However, that being said, if these conflicts that we have, these violent conflicts that are throughout the world, become start spilling over borders, um, that could have a, an impact, particularly if you see some things around um, on either either side of where oil is transported out of the uh, out of Suez mm. Canal or over in the um, Persian Gulf, um, that should certainly have impact. We, uh, I do think that we have a, a unfortunately we'll have an increase in civil unrest and probably spill into some hotter wars that involve some additional countries beyond what we currently have. That does not really bode well for. Um, volatility doesn't, but it might actually help in um, economic growth. So, that, which is kind of an ironic thing. Um, in terms of what ALCO committees need to do, I think the number one thing any group that's overseeing risk, whether it's an ALCO, whether it's a board of directors, whether it's an executive committee. Um, they should not be trying to manage the details. They should be managing the variance. So they need ah. to structure the reports around <clears throat> managing variance. Um, and they also need to be asking the questions of what if. Um, try to make this really short. I remember talking to a city um, mortgage trader back um, when the crisis was first done, just before the crisis was unfolding. And there were some things, it was already happening in the mortgage realm, and I said, you know, what if, when you're doing your what-ifs, do you actually consider how um, that the private market could possibly trade through the guaranteed market? Do you ever look at those types of things? He said, no, uh, we, we're not allowed to. And I thought that was interesting that, um, some committees that are overlooking things don't want certain scenarios looked at because those scenarios might, if, if they're now known within the institution and they didn't do something about it, could cause problems. Um, I think if ALCO committees or whoever's overseeing try to keep a very open mind on these things to let your risk manager and your analysts look at things that could possibly happen and that will help them better understand what the possible risk is. But they need to make notes in their minutes that they've looked at these things and they've considered it and they've weighed that the risk didn't require a reaction but would be monitored or something like that. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is flash deflation versus flash liquidity crisis. Uh, again, coming out of uh, Davos, um, the board and the reason I keep wrenching the Bank of England this time, the other day I mentioned the ECB and the right. uh, and the Germans and how they influence the ECB heavily and the national uh, central banks. But I said that you need to be looking at different central banks around the world. And the last one I mentioned was the Bank of England. Well, they were big headliners in uh, Davos, 
And one of the areas there that is a big concern, I want to leave with kind of this idea and make sure we get it out. The liquidity crisis that we saw in the middle of October in the United States where we had a huge drop very rapidly that caused us to hit the target that I was looking at really concerned uh, regulators that there would not be able to be a market reacting fast enough. And here we are in the biggest, deepest market with uh, Treasury. Well, actually, Euro market's deeper, but um, Euro dollar market. But still, that's a very liquid market. Where he is concerned, he says, he's, we are practically concerned about an illusion of liquidity that has existed in a number of financial markets. I would say that the illusion of liquidity is gradually being uh, uh, disabused. He said, adding that, the, um, the so-called uh, new financial system, it has the potential feedback, and we have to be aware of that, he told an elite group at central bankers at the World Economic Forum. That's why we have to also be aware of it. The liquidity problem could be a huge problem. That's probably what's going to drive us down to the 1.15, that there'll be some type of liquidity there, so we'll have a flash are you there? Yep, we are. Yep. Okay, we'll have We're a flash loud, crash. Uh, we'll have a flat, uh, flash crash or a flash liquidity crisis. Um, additionally, that flash liquidity crisis will could possibly feed into a flash deflation, which also will could be what could be fueling the flash deflation would be some type of currency issues with various developing countries that do not have uh, dollar swap agreements, the Federal Reserve. That is going to be a big issue. I know a lot of your audience is probably saying dollar swaps. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it sounds like something <laughs> out of, out of a, a fantasy book. But that is probably going to be cause the cascading effect that will yeah, cause exactly. the liquidity crisis, which will drive us down to the 1.1. It will also create panic where people are going to say, oh, no, deflation is so big. Central banks, what are we going to do? And they'll be all wringing their hands. And I believe what's going to happen is that private investors are going to come in big time with big time money yep. and buy up different real estate, different industries, move into stock markets. And that's what's going to be the beginning of a great healing and cause the rates to drive up dramatically in the second half of this year or early in 2006. Wow. I wanted to get out that that's the con. That's the broader that's con context. Yeah, the broader context. And, and so this because 2015 is going to be a very interesting year. This is you've, You went way over the time year. you said you were going to be able to allow. Uh, Thank so you. You were supposed to be sitting on your plane. Uh, Thank because you. I need to plane, get on here. Yeah, so I I want to say thank you so much, Les, uh, for being here. A lot of feedback, a lot of questions. And uh, so tune back into the broadcast and listen to some of the feedback afterwards. It'll be good to get your thoughts after that. Got to have you back. Thank you so much. Safe travels, my friend. Thank you. Bye. You bet. Uh, one, Alice, one of the questions that came up that was um, while Les was talking had to do with Al, uh, Alco. What the, <laughs> what the heck is Alco? So you want to go there real quickly, oh, give that? <laughs> sure, but I'm, I know Andy and, and Joe can cover this as well. So it's an asset liability committee, right? So it's a risk yeah. management committee in a bank uh, that, you know, is senior management. And, and uh, they're put together to be able to evaluate, monitor, approve all the practices relating to risk, right? So they're yep. and watching for any kind of imbalance in capital structure. So what they're 
essentially what they're going to do is have to try and predict the future to some extent and put those stress tests on that, you know, Andy's talked about in previous shows and less mentioned here. And so in that meeting, you know, how far should they go when they hear, you know, some positions are like this, and and Andy can probably speak to this a little bit better. So how do the decision that those committees make um, to say, here's my existing pipeline, here's what we're anticipating is going to be a volatile year, and, you know, what does that what, what does that possibly have enough impact on my pipeline? Um, you know, yeah, when you hear I, it, it's going to drop. And actually, I liked Les's comment there about the great healing. So, you know, if we yeah. went through the great recession, <laughs> this year's the great yeah. year of healing. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know, Annie, well, Andy, not- you can probably add much more to that than how I just answered it. No, you did a great yeah, job, Alice. Good job. Well, she covered it very well. It's really when you think about a bank, banks have deposits, and those deposits have certain costs and have certain maturities. They have assets that are loans that pay them interest and have certain different maturities. And so as a bank, if you have if you have long-term assets, let's take savings, savings and loans as an example. They had 30-year fixed-rate mortgages that were funded by uh, short-term deposits. And as rates rose dramatically, the cost of the liabilities went up very, very quickly – the assets didn't reprice because they were long-term assets, which meant that the bank now was losing money every day. And so that's yeah. what Alcos do is they help make certain that the gap, GAP, the spread that a bank preserves in its, in its repricing liabilities and, and rate-adjusting assets are matched so you're always preserving that same spread. And so if you get it wrong, the gap sh- narrows and you lose money and the regulators put you out of business. Well, a lot of people are writing and say, you know, you guys only have a little bit of time left. We'd love to hear some feedback on this. Uh, a lot of people, it gets a lot of people's attention when you talk about the volatility in this and what it could mean, interest rates, whether you're a business owner or originator. When should we be pushing? How should we handle locks? And um, so the, we're going to, next week, listeners, come back to this broadcast. We're going to sit, we're going to do another roundtable discussion and really dive into some of these issues. Several people want to hear, Andy, what I talked, what, when I said bookmark that, they really want you to go into that to some depth, so we're going to have you do that next week. Um, and then, uh, then also, uh, everyone says before the end of the broadcast today, Joe, what do you think? <laughs> so it's just okay. an overall assessment. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I like Les's uh, uh, expectations uh, uh, not the outside as but the inside you know the what he called yeah. expected the 2.9 to 1.35 range uh the the you know the flash event that occurred you know that was like a 15 minute of, you know mm-hmm. change in yield and that you know that didn't affect things much i mean certainly it put a lot of concern in the in the mind of the markets and uh, but it it corrected itself very quickly so uh, uh certainly there are things that can drive our, our rates lower. Uh, I do want to caution people that mortgage rates have a hard time moving much lower. We've already seen a yeah. decoupling, if you will, of the 10-year yields mm-hmm. and, and mortgage yield just this just uh, first couple weeks of this month. Uh, we saw a 10 yeah. basis point drop more of a drop in yield in the 10-year than the mortgage. So, um, you know. Be aware of that. Yeah, be aware of that. We want to get into that this next week, folks. Uh, we will. And uh, Alice, Andy, Joe will be back, and we'll be talking about that. 
And uh, very excited about taking this further. We appreciate you tuning in, listening to it, tell others about the broadcast, and uh, share this with us. It, this is really important stuff. And here's the deal. Whether it comes true or not, it's so important to have the discussion and really go out and set these projections. That's what we talked about last week, the importance of setting, doing an analysis, thinking about it, what if. And that's what we intelligent people that have uh, – the right business acumen do that as a matter of business process. It's good to be with you. Be sure to tune back next week as we're going to do a roundtable discussion on this very topic. Thank you all. Have a great week and talk to you next week. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.